coming up on this episode of Belief Hole. There is a uh, aspect to this that is underground. Yeah, how do these things move? Their wings don't seem to work or be too functional, and you don't see these things for very long. And when you do, they pop up here, they pop up there. And what I've been noticing is the parallel existence of caves in the area, underground labyrinths. I always sleep on my side, and occasionally I'll just roll on my back, and every time I have a disturbing dream. And the dreams are just horrific sometimes. Yeah. And the images that come into my mind are just so not from my own brain. Yeah, from a darker place. Maybe there's another you living inside you just ready to murder. What? <laughs> what? I don't like what? that idea. Good comment. <laughs> <laughs> they hear these things down in the mine shafts. The theory was it became sort of a nesting ground for these things. And they see not one creature with this dazzling light, but two, a smaller one with it, flies out. So they get all these people with guns to come back to the mine, wait for them to return, because they feel it's like their nest, or they're at least coming from this place. And they do come back. And when they do, they're firing bullets at them, trying to take them out. And again, no effect from bullets. And the end of one of the newspaper accounts I read has said they were just still trying to find stuff to cover this mine with. The mine's still there, as far as I know. I wouldn't want to go in that mine. I wouldn't I got really excited last night when I came across this article because I was like, okay, burrowing dinosaurs, you know, that would be an interesting explanation. And then as I kept reading, it kept relating back to bird type dinosaurs. These things just kind of kept falling into place. I, like, I thought dinosaurs weren't real though. Well, that's a whole of course they're real. episode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a look of anger and sadness. Not anger. I, they're real. I want dinosaurs. He swallowed. Like he just realized Christmas <laughs> no, might not actually be <laughs> Santa Claus related. <laughs> The way you swallowed was just like hurt feelings. Yeah, it looked like you literally swallowed a bitter pill. I think they're real, Chris. Oh, they're real. Sasquatch, homunculus, alien races, Satanism in Hollywood, MK Ultra, Tartaria. There's like a whole. I've been watching this one guy. That, Close the door, injury. Close your door. What's the uh, inner earth disagreements? Ghost dad. <laughs> I like that movie. Dogman, Bohemian Grove, Corey Feldman, magicians are demons, specters, spirits, sleep paralysis, strange disappearances, sky whale phenomena, yes. alternative history, shadow people. Shh, quiet, I'm trying to say words with the mouth. It's getting dicey out there. Poltergeists. That's cool. Anunnaki. What is the moon? <laughs> Elf towers. I would never talk about it. That's old. Y2K. Cover ups. Apocalyptic catastrophe. Vampire. Well, hello, hello. Hello, hello. You beat John this time. I did. I don't usually say first. No, no. The last episode, no, no. you got you got angry because you were like, that's only I, I on comebacks. Comebacksies? Come, oh, coming back from yeah, the Yeah, like after a break. Oh, that, I guess that is true. You know, what I loved about the way you started, though, in the last episode, John, was the creepy way that you said it. Oh, yeah. I was like, hello, hello, listen. I didn't like that. I, I felt like you were talking to me. I was in your basement trapped, chained me up. That's what that voice sounded That's like. That's what I channeled. 
Well, welcome back, listeners, to another episode of The Hole. Excellent. Yes. In this episode, guys, we're going to be getting into some creepy stuff. Yeah, today's episode is going to be a fun one. I've been wanting to do this story for a while, the story of the Van Meter Visitor. Our cryptid listeners, our cryptid fans out there are going to be probably familiar with the story, but I wanted to go in depth on this and uh, really get into sort of the bizarre aspects of this account. Why I Isn't think the whole account bizarre? Huh? Are there normal parts of this monster well, yeah, visitation? Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think what makes this one so interesting is that there were so many people within this community that had experienced this creature and so many prominent people in the community. And, you know, that's kind of rare in these older cases. This was turn of the century, 1903, this happened. So to have so many people that you can look back today and find records of these people, you know, pillars of their community had this experience. But what is the, what are are you talking about here? The Van Meter Visitor, guys. I love how you're so excited about the topic that you jump into the the history (laughs) around it. You need to give a little, because I don't know what you're talking about. So probably most people aren't going to have any idea what you mean by this. That's a good point. What the frick is the Van Meter Visitor, Chris? What is Van Meter? Is that like a a town in Iowa? Oh, oh, of course. Yes, I've been there. Okay, the Van Meter Visitor was basically a seven to nine foot tall, depending on whose account you find more credible, of a winged bipedal creature that seemed to be bulletproof and was seen by uh, several people within the community of Van Meter, Iowa in 1903, oh, with oh, over wow. a, like a course of a week. Kind of like uh, the Mothman flap a bit. Yeah, and this predates the Mothman stuff from 1966. And they didn't lie back then either. No, there were no lies. No I mean, lies. And we'll get into that because obviously <laughs> this was a time of uh, rampant newspaper embellishment like there is today. Confabulation. But monsters. Monsters were constantly being embellished. So how can you take this seriously at all? Because this story was reported by one of the citizens of this community during the account to the Des Moines, Iowa newspaper and the people that are the eyewitnesses in this. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times in older accounts when you have monster stories in the newspaper, the people that are referenced from a certain city or whatever, they're usually fabricated or they're anonymous or whatever. Yeah. Uh, not all the time, but often. In this case, the people that are referenced are living in this community at the time. They're pillars of their community, like business owners, mayor, teachers. So the divulging of this story, it was putting their reputations on the line. So what we're saying is their existence is verifiable. These people that we're quoting are real. Exactly. And yeah, they have credibility to lose. Right. Okay, cool. Well, yeah. So that's where it, that's kind of the focus of the first part. Yeah. And, you know, initially we talked about getting into the Mothman stuff, but I think we should save that because there are vast differences. This experience while there are sort of supernatural aspects to it when it comes to you know emitting light bulletproof things like that there's less of a dark fear aspect to it as the mothman has and a lot of uh, people have experienced um so i thought that would be good to have separated because also i want to give mothman its due uh it's such a a, there's so much lore with that yeah and it's one of my favorite and i think a lot of people are really drawn to the mothman uh lore and mythology so I wanted to cover Van Meter this time and the strange creature that was seen there because of the background, because of the history and the documented witnesses, and then save for maybe the next episode, Mothman, really get into that. Well, and what I love about this topic specifically is that it is one of these weird, weird stories. You know, it doesn't yeah. fall in the tree. Like at Thunderbirds, yeah, those are cool. And I, we're, we're getting Mike touch on those a little bit. And that's a flying cryptid phenomenon. But this is a creature with distinct characteristics, yeah. uh, unique in some fashion, but also consistent with other bipedal humanoid avian. Does it have wings? Cryptids. It has wings, sir. We have had a lot of uh, people write into us exactly, about it. and that's another reason why we wanted to like, yes, cover. We tied it in. <laughs> we tied it in. Yes, uh, um, Shannon 
uh, who we're going to be playing a speak pipe from her. She has a weird, large, big bird encounter. Not to be confused with the big bird from the Boogeyman episode <laughs> coming out of the closet uh, with the evil Muppets. Well, yeah, you're right. That- Want some chapstick? <laughs> <laughs> so creepy. It'll make you feel It'll good. It'll make you feel good. Yeah, it's not a Sesame Street Boogeyman big bird. It's uh, literally a big bird. It's a large bird, and we'll get into it. that. Also, I was considering playing... If we have time, because it connects exactly, and one of the reasons that spurned this whole conversation a couple episodes ago, but uh, who was it that wrote in? Because it's it fits perfectly with what we're talking about. But yeah, the point is, it's, is we've had like a, a bizarre amount of, I've never even heard of big birds. I think it's interesting that there's been around the Midwest, right? Oh yeah, definitely Midwest, Iowa, Indiana, Michigan, Ohio. And that's the thing we kind of touched on the Boogeyman episode. Blackbirds, uh, tall, bipedal usually. And there seemed to be this migration sort of pattern that I was picking up on the last episode. We didn't get into it because the focus was Boogeyman, but one of our closet stories was the big birds. So we kind of started to touch on it. But that's why we were saving this for this episode. Um, because like you said, John, we were getting a lot of listeners sending in stories about seeing these large, sometimes terrifying, sometimes beautifully magical, you know, yeah. seven foot tall birds. Oh, then that's, yeah, the her creepy story, Maddie. Falcor. It was Maddie. <laughs> Maddie story. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. With the creepy, uh, tall, glowing eyed, was it glowing eyes? I always forget that aspect. We'll find out. Uh, anyways, we'll play that later. And so will you. But yeah. Sounds like a fun, fun show. And then for those of you who are lucky enough to be expansion tier level patrons. Our favoritest people. You guys are in a lucky, lucky spot because we're going to be getting into some really weird stories. Stories such as the uh, story of the Snallygaster. <laughs> okay. I need to love that word. The Snally- the not, to be con- not to be confused with the Snarlyow that we covered in a previous the episode. Snallygaster? Snallygaster, dude. That's the Snallygaster could have its own three-part series. But really? There's that much on the Snallygaster? We need a shirt that says the Snallygaster. That should be our mascot, dude. This thing is ridiculous. Okay. Uh, it's basically like a large flying dragon-type bird with uh, metal kind of claws and octopus tentacles. Actually connects with the Sky Jelly uh, episode we <laughs> Sounds did. Sounds realistic. Uh <laughs> Oh, well, but it, it actually it, connects with a sky jelly <laughs> perpendicular to the wolf rat. Well, you know, that's what he said, because it does connect with the dogman, too. Its uh, main adversary, according to the German folklore in the area of the United States, was the uh, Duayo or Duaya. I forget what it is. We'll get to that it's later. Dogman type but it's guy? a dogman. They fought, apparently. They were enemies. As you would. As you would. But we'll get into that later. We're going to get into that. Yeah. If you guys want to sign up for Patreon, go to our website and click on the Patreon button, and you too can have access to the wonderful Snallygaster yes. episodes. As well as, <laughs> we're going to, like we did last time, we're going to pepper in a little reptilian. But Just so, pepper it, a little dash. A little dish, little dash. Here. Because what we're doing in this episode, the first part and in the expansion in Patreon, is uh, connecting this concept of the subterranean connection with these cryptids. Right. Uh, we find a lot of these stories with the uh, these winged creatures, these bird avian people. They're, you know, sometimes you don't. They're not flying for very long, but they're winged, or the wings don't seem to work or be too functional. And my theory, my theory to this is that they perhaps could be cave dwellers. That they come from inside the earth. Well, the, and exactly, and that ties right into the Van Meter visitor, and the the conclusion of the story of this creature and where they find it's been coming from ties right into that. There is a uh, aspect of this that is underground. Yeah, and the the migration concept that you had. How do these things move? Just like the dogman or any Sasquatch, whatever. You don't see these things for very long, and when you do, they they pop up here, they pop up there. And what I've been noticing with the pattern, with your migration pattern, and some of these places where this takes place, is the parallel existence of caves in the area, underground labyrinths yeah, beneath the surface of where these so what you're saying spaces is are happening. They're under the ground. <laughs> hey. Hey, what's up? What's that movie called where that guy... <laughs> 
That guy chases like the kids. Uh, Freddy Krueger? No, no, no. It's, <laughs> he like had the reason I thought of it was because he has a lair underground. Oh, uh, Jeepers Creepers. Yes. Dude, pretty sure that's inspired by the Mothman. That first one was pretty damn creepy. Yeah. Dude, I loved his license plate. His license plate said, be eating you. <laughs> Remember, it was like, they, they, he, he passed these kids on the highway and it said, beating you? Yeah. Like, I'm passing you or whatever? Like, oh, laughing. And then later, after they find his lair and stuff, the license plate had a whole other meaning. Right. Be eating you. Well, that's you. when those old monster movies from like the early 2000s, late 90s, like um, Joyride. Oh yeah, Where, like there's there's a good layer of comedy in there. Yeah, not everything's so dark. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, Tremors. That's this may this topic makes me think of Tremors because they're under the ground. They're under that the idea, ground. You know. Do you got that clip, John? That clip, John? Yeah. Bert, they're under the ground. They're under the ground. Yes, so good, Kevin. Oh, it's such a good movie. Yeah, I want to play more of that clip in the Patreon because that that scene is so good. And if you guys have never seen Tremors, it is a classic. It's probably I think it is my all time favorite. It might be one of the best movies ever made. Frankly, I would agree. I think it beats Schindler's List. What about Back beats, to the Future? Uh, that's top. No, I don't think so. Really? I think Tremors has they're a, head to head for me. Has it? But it's more of a unique film. It's pretty good. Yeah. So you guys check it out if you haven't watched it. We, we might. I want to talk about it a little bit in the Patreon. That'll be fun. Before we get into the main stuff, John, uh, you said you've had some pretty intense nightmares lately, right? Yeah, well, they're... Because of the boogeyman? It's not... Yeah, no. <laughs> I have weird experiences where it's so consistent that if I fall asleep on my back and, like, my stomach is exposed, like, well, what is it? What are you just, I just at? have a picture of rubbing your little exposed I have a picture of you wearing a belly shirt in bed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't exposed. mean, like, it's my, my stomach is actually exposed. It's just, you know, it's there. this is a... It's your kind of solar plexus area, uh -huh. which is... Your vulnerable spot. Yeah, it's your energy sort Interesting. of... You know, people. that's why people cross their arms when they're in uncomfortable situations. Because that's where your soul lives. It's Yeah, it's just there's something about this area that that is vulnerable to energy. It's also your heart. Your heart's pretty vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Someone's um, got and it's also vul yeah, vulnerable just physically. Like yeah. if you're asleep and you're in the wilderness or something... You know, well, you want to keep your special organ safe. Yeah, you do have gonna, the rib cage there to help with yeah. that yeah, protection. But this, your guts and all that guts, stuff. Though. Yeah, I mean, if you have your back, you know, it's just you, that's why you curl up in a ball if a bear attacks. Right. You don't just go, "Hey, eat my organs." Yeah, go for the spine. <laughs> I would be like, "Please take me quick." The whole point. I'm, <laughs> Here's I, my neck. I was just curious if anyone else out there. I did a little research on it, and it just seems like it is kind of a phenomenon. But the dreams that I have. You mean when you're laying on your back? Yeah, yeah and I don't. I always sleep on my side. Or my stomach. And it's just a f like occasionally I'll just roll on my back. And that's every time I have a disturbing dream. And the dreams are just horrific sometimes. Yeah. They're just like, and it's weird too, because I was thinking about this driving the other day. It's just like, I don't understand. I feel like they have to be coming from somewhere else because I don't watch like movies. I, I do watch some horror, but it's never gruesome. It's always just like suspense and mystery. And this, the images that come into my mind are just so not from my own brain. Yeah. From a darker place. Maybe they, there's another you living inside you just ready to murder. What? <laughs> what? I don't like what? that idea. Good comment. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. I just wondered if anyone else out there has that experience. That we should they, absolutely do a dream episode soon. We've been getting a lot of requests for dream episodes and, uh, that'd be fascinating. I've been having some bizarre dreams from, you know, I got back into the melatonin scene, um, for you kids out there, na natural hormone, right? It just <laughs> lets you, uh, relax a little. I'm very, uh, 
sensitive to it. So I only do like two milligrams if I'm having trouble sleeping, which is very light, I'm told. You're talking about your melatonin nightmares? Yes, but even with those, man, I feel so rested when I wake up when I just do a little bit, but the dreams, like I feel like it just pole vaults me into REM sleep and I'm just in these, and I remember all of them. You know, they say you have like up to 90 dreams or something a night, you, you don't, or you don't remember 95% of your dreams, but I feel like when you take something like melatonin, you are so inside that other world that you wake up remembering it. And they're so weird and so sometimes very so dark. detailed. Yeah, and sometimes yeah, detailed, very dark, and very bizarre, almost like a circus version of your real life. Yeah. I really hope that's not where we go after we die. I don't think it so. it would not be a fun place to I think it's to a live. it's a perversion. If it relates to an actual reality, I think it's a perversion twisted kind of image or view of it because I think your mind is a filter. Your brain's well, a filter that's kind of manipulating it. There's some part of your brain that dis engages during sleep. It's like the part that keeps like functioning reality in check. Yeah. And when you go into dream state, it's like that filter somehow gets disengaged. So all the weird stuff that you would normally notice during the day if it was out of order is gone. So right. nothing seems that strange. Right. You just accept it. But there, there are so many fascinating things about dreams, like the idea that you can't read in dreams for some reason. And when you I do, have been able to. I have been too. And that's true. But there's always something unique about those dreams where you can actually read. Mm -hmm. I feel like they're usually very vivid. Melatonin, I can read sometimes with melatonin. Yeah. I don't know why. And for me, if I wake up and go back to sleep, like early in the morning, then I always, and with these melatonin dreams, always have uh, these seemingly insignificant things, but they occur in my dream and then occur within that day. Yeah, it's pretty bizarre. I had a dream that I was working at a, a defunct Best Buy or an old electronics store. And on my break, I was making bal balloon animals and I'd figured out <laughs> how to how to run and power the computers in the store using a series of air tubes because of my work with the balloon animals. <laughs> wow. And then that next day, I applied to Best Buy and I got the job. That's That last part's not last true. Last part's not true. Wait, right? oh, okay. I was I like, actually, I don't... <laughs> so you became a master animal balloon Animalist, yeah, on my, my free time while working at Best Buy, and you powered and then the I was store? able to power the electronics with a series of uh, moving air tubes. <laughs> yeah. That's so weird. Melatonin, yeah. man, Melatonin. it does some weird stuff. That, yeah, the, the weirdest one I had recently, and we can move on from this, but I just wanted to mention this the weirdest one I had recently. I was down visiting my friend Jared, and his wife Danielle offered me her famous soup, and I knew what was in the soup because she makes it out of the dreams. No, she makes it out of penises. And oh, whoever okay. is going to eat the soup, it'd be, it's their member that she uses for the recipe. And it wasn't like scary oh. like she was threatening. It was just like... I thought this was actually happening. <laughs> no, <laughs> again, this is the that, dream. I was yeah. like, I thought you meant you had a dream at their place. No, no, no. This is this was recently. Okay. So she tried to feed you your... Well, no, I went there and I knew. I just, I had the information. She was famous for her penis She's soup. famous for her penis, penis soup, soup, but it has to be your <laughs> penis in the soup. And I was, right. and it wasn't a threat. I was just, but I said to her nicely <laughs> and politely, I, I hear it's great, but I'm not really ready to give that up. And it sounds <laughs> like a messy penis. reconstruction. Like there's something deeper. Like, I'm not going I, to New Philly anytime soon. That's She's famous for her penis soup. Yeah. The only catch is it has to be your penis. Exactly. Very strange. But it is the most delicious of soups. <laughs> no soup for you. Um, do we want to take a break? I think we've given a good introduction on what we're talking about today. Um, or is there anything else you guys want to talk no, about? No, I think that about wraps it. The only, <laughs> the only thing I was going to say about your question, John, with the bad dreams while being on your back. Oh, yeah. Is uh, That's where the nocturne comes from. The, the sleep paralysis mostly happens when you're laying on your back. That's where Jess used to have her night terrors always, I think only when she was on her back. Yeah, I, I read stuff that about like the succubus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like where it's it sits on you. That's the like, nightmare. Yeah, I just wonder. We talked a lot about that on our Shadow People episode. We'll have to do another episode on yeah, it. Yeah, because it all ties in. Yeah, like you're saying, the nightmare, the, the succubus, the incubus, I think is the man version of the succubus or vice, vice versa. It's the man. But the thing sitting on your chest, sleep paralysis, Shadow People scene, it all ties, it's all connected in that weird sort of 
disreality of the dream state, the twilight phase. Well, if there is a, if there is a physical reality to these these demonic type entities of the the succubus, maybe there is something to that idea of like your solar plexus being exposed, and if that's a pressure point, somehow bridges the gap between their world and ours. That that's where you would physically manifest and then yeah. sit upon. Can I ask you, to John, keep you locked into that space? Why were you sleeping on your back if you typically don't? I will just wake up on my oh. back. Like, I don't purposely do it. So, but every once in a while, I just roll. Just something's turning you. Yeah, it's weird. Make Ooh. him available. Creepy. I don't, because I, I don't like sleeping because of that reason. I love sleeping on my side. That's the only way I've ever loved to sleep. Um, but I can't anymore because of my stupid back issues. So you don't experience that then if you're always on your back? I have a lot of dark dreams, okay. um, but I usually don't speak about them because I'm worried people will be afraid of me. <laughs> you're worried they'll come true. <laughs> All right. Um, when we come back from the break, we're going to get deep into the Van Meter mystery with the Van Meter visitor. And we're going to talk about a sort of Tremors-like encounter with a very famous Cowboys versus Saurians experience. Oh, everyone's heard of that. And we do have a patron stinger for Marsha Mar- yes. Montgomery. Yes. Thank you, Marsha. She is a part of a paranormal investigative team. Oh, cool. Oh, really? To the stinger has to do. Ghostbusters. I'm looking forward to that. We'll be back in a few minutes. See ya. I do, I do, it's all real. They're outside right- Phone's available to take your call, but you can leave your story at the sound of the tone. No, 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 they're outside right now. They're outside, no. Do you have a spooky story? Don't wait until it's too late. Give us a call, beliefhole.com. back guys welcome back listeners so they we're gonna visit the van meter visitor that's what we're about to do aren't you guys excited well said chris yeah mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that was pretty good for me <laughs> that was, i was gonna say your eyebrows told a different it wasn't story the typical mm-hmm. what do you want me to do chris awkwardly laughs. you be like oh my god oh my god another cryptid <laughs> john loves his cryptids don't worry second half we'll be getting into the strange darkness of some of these humanoid encounters right jerry that's right and the expansion and the expansion so tune in for that guys well the exciting part about this is we've got some parts for each of us to read, too, in this story. But let's, let's get into it. Yeah, let's get into the Van Meter Visitor, Chris. So bring us into this. Where does this all begin? So the Van Meter Visitor, as I said earlier, the experience happened in the year of 1903 in Van Meter, Iowa. Now, the book I found on this is called The Van Meter Visitor, A True and Mysterious Encounter with the Unknown by Chad Lewis, Noah Voss, and Kevin Nelson. The background behind their digging up this story was that they were going to get together and do some research and go legend tripping. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the the idea of traveling to different locations where some famous legend exists or some monster stories. Try to experience that legend, right? Legend, hence legend tripping, tripping to go there. Right. And Louis Voss and Nelson, they're all authors, they're all researchers, and they're all friends. So they decided to go together and they picked Iowa. And they'd found a bunch of interesting stuff throughout history to kind of look into. But we're having trouble finding something to really focus on, something to really sink their teeth into. And that's when Chad Lewis, one of the authors, went through some old headlines from Iowa because he had been doing a book series called Hidden Headlines. 
And in this book series, he would take a state and then he would dig deep into the history and find strange, you know, like man goes crazy from religion or, you know, ghost knocking on woman's window at night. And he would take these and make books out of them. And he never finished the Iowa one, but he pulled out some headlines and was digging through them. And that's when he came across headlines about these strange flying creatures coming out of a cave. So he kind of rediscovered this. Yeah. Around what time did this take place that they decided to Well, the book was published in 2013. Okay. So relatively reawakened lore. And he called the librarian because he'd never heard of this, you know, and they were big into the cryptid world. He called the local librarian Van Meter and like, is this a thing here still? Because I'd found these news articles from 1903 and they said, oh, absolutely. It's it's a lore that's lived on in town, but the rest of the country kind of right, died Right, it dies off. outside the area, but in the town, it stays right. until uh, something like this, like a book comes out, it becomes like Mothman probably. Right. That was, I think, because of the bridge collapse, kind of quieted down. But um, but then there's new sightings or there's uh, renewed interest. Like in this case, an author rediscovers a story, publishes a book, and now you hear about it more frequently, at least in, in these cryptid circles, right? Right. So what is this thing? Like, what? how did this begin? And well. The interesting aspect of this case is that there were a bunch of news articles from around the country reporting on this. It all came out initially from uh, Des Moines, the closest nearby paper, published the story from the person who originally recounted the story while it was occurring or shortly after it was occurring was actually from Van Meter, wrote the article for the Des Moines paper, then the Des Moines prints it, then a rivaling newspaper retells it, but says like, you know, don't put a lot of faith in this other news organization because they're always competing. Right. Then it goes around the country and you've got articles saying it's a, a load of bull. You got articles saying it's absolutely true. These are reputable people. So I want to read one of the articles that kind of tells the story of what happened in Van Meter in 1903. Okay. Take us back in time, Chris. So, uh, Jeremy, if you want to begin reading, this comes from Des Moines Daily News. And the title of the article is Hideous Monster Alleged to Have Terrified All Posse of Citizens Shootout. Quite frequently, one hears of a haunted house, but for a whole town to have them is a different proposition. Van Meter, a town about 900 souls, lying 20 miles west of Des Moines, alone enjoys the distinction of being haunted. Queer noises are heard, hideous apparitions are seen, and uncanny lights move around in a mysterious manner. Eugene Griffith, an implement dealer, drove into town Monday night at 1 a.m. and saw a light on top of Mather and Greg's building, thinking it might be burglars. He cautiously approached, but before he was very near to the building, the light moved across the street to another building and disappeared. But little attention was paid to the story the next morning. However, the following night, about the same hour, Dr. Alcott, who sleeps in the rear of his office, was awakened by a bright light shining in his face. He is a plucky little fellow, and he grabbed his gun of immense proportions and ran outside the building, where he was confronted with something or other that seemed half human, oh half animal, and yet had great bat-like wings. What is that? And the light seemed to come from a single blunt horn that grew out of his forehead. The doctor fired five shots at an extremely close range, but either missed it or the bullets took no effect. The remaining load he kept for protection and he ran into the house, barring his doors and windows, where he remained until morning. Peter Dunn. <laughs> <laughs> should I, how should I read it? You read it however you want. I was imagining you doing your normal reading voice, but you can do okay. anything you like. How come Jeremy gets to do Sam Elliott? The only reason I thought was because that first line, to have him, is a different proposition to sound an old Western. But yeah, you can read yours that way too. Peter Dunn, cashier of the local bank, fearing a robber, 
tore himself from the bosom of his family and with the trusty shotgun loaded with buckshot, stood guard over the bank's funds. And as the town clock struck one, he suddenly heard strange, strangled noises at the east side of the building. Then in another instant, the mysterious light shone. I keep getting this weird, like, <laughs> subtle, like, I want to do this. <laughs> no, it sounded good, though. Then, in another instant, the mysterious light shone full upon him through the front window, so brightly that he was almost blind. The light would move around the room and he could see a great form of some kind. Then, as the light swung back to him once more, he could stand the suspense no longer and fired point blank at the monster, tearing out the glass and part of the sash, and it disappeared as quickly as it appeared. Pete naturally thought he had killed it, yes, I killed but when day killed dawned, it first appeared as if there was not a trace of anything but a broken front. However, great three-toed tracks were found to be in the rear of the building, one of which Pete has a plaster cast of. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like that ending. Later that evening, O.V. White, who has rooms over the hardware building, was awakened by a sound that resembled two rasps or chisels being rubbed together. He quickly opened a window and, with gun in hand, peered out into the darkness and rain. For some time, he could see nothing. Then, as his eyes became accustomed to the darkness, he could see what he supposed was the monster sitting on the cross arm of a telephone pole and was not 15 feet away. He was not giving out the light which had previously characterized it. Ordinarily, Mr. White is a good shot, and he says he took deliberate aim and fired. But instead of killing it, the shot only seemed to wake it up. And instantly, its light was turned on him. It emitted an odor that seemed to stupefy him, and he remembered no more about it. The shot fired by Mr. White awoke Sidney Gregg, who was sleeping in his store just across the corner. Rushing to the front door, he saw the monster descending the telephone pole, using its huge beak. When it reached the ground, it stood erect and flapped its great featherless wings. Standing at least eight feet high and giving off a light from its forehead, as bright and searching as an electric headlight. Mr. Gregg says it moved about like a kangaroo, with great leaps, sometimes using its wings to assist it. When the fast mail came tearing through town, it crouched as if to spring, but ran on all four feet with wings extended and sailed away. Then Greg remembered he had a gun, but it was too late to shoot, and he watched it sail away toward the coal mine and disappear. But last night, the climax was reached. Several persons were watching for its appearance, but the show did not open until 1 a.m. J.L. Platt Jr. was at the brick plant in the northwest part of town, where R. employed a considerable number of men day and night, and at a few minutes before 1 a.m. he heard a noise down in the old abandoned coal mine about 40 rods away. As the men had been hearing noises for some time, he went up to the opening of the coal mine. Presently, the noise opened up again, as though Satan and a regiment of imps were coming forth for battle. But in a moment, the monster appeared, accompanied by another, somewhat smaller. But each gave off that brilliant light from the horn-like protuberance as they sailed away. A crowd of men and guns were gathered together to rid the earth of them while they stood return as evidence. <laughs> 
that? I don't know. That was great. Accident. Now I want you to go good. back and read I the know, whole part. A crowd of men and guns were gathered together to rid the earth of them when they should return, as it seemed evident they had been occupying the old mine for some time. The electric lights were turned on all over town to frighten them off, but they had evidently gone elsewhere, for they did not return until the first streak of dawn. The reception they received would have sunk the Spanish fleet, but aside from unearthly noises and that peculiar odor, they did not seem to mind it, but instead slowly descended the shaft of the old mine. Today the town is all excitement, and a force of men has been set to work to barricade the mouth of the mine. Several methods of exterminating them have been suggested, but nothing seems to meet the approval of those in charge. Des Moines Daily News, October 4th, 1903. I feel like I'm watching a Ken Burns documentary. <laughs> that was yeah. really well read, John. Your accent's way better than mine. I should have done one. Now I feel left out. But yeah, what do you guys think of the story itself? Oh, yeah. Pretty crazy, so that right? all came from the what one of the original yeah, newspaper articles, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty intense. That protuberance. The protuberance. And move like a kangaroo. Yeah, well, once in one of the uh, accounts, which was this account was so cool because you had two or three different people from town who witnessed it in the same experience. The same night, right? Yeah, you've got uh, Otto White, who's the hardware store owner, and he sees it through. He's sleeping above his hardware store. Yeah, and um, that's when he sees this thing on the light post on the telephone pole. I wonder how high up it was. 15, or it was 15 feet away from him, telephone pole height. Uh, I think he was on the second or third story. So at least, least 30 feet or something, maybe? No, probably not that. Maybe 20. Interesting that it used its beak to get down. I, didn't you mention another uh, account that it? someone described it as moving down as if a parrot would? And it made me think of like, you know how parrots sometimes yeah. when they'll walk, they'll use their beak to like pull themselves They grab along. and pull themselves. Yeah, it yeah. gave that sort of description. And but. the kangaroo thing, John, I think is because it was so large that it, as it was on the ground trying to fly away, kind of like an albatross, it had to bound and jump and flap its wings to get itself to fly, which is such a, if it was a made up story, you'd think, I mean, the detail of its its locomotion. Right. You know, it didn't just jump up and fly away or, or you know, flames coming out of its, you know, Asshole or something. It, it, sorry, weird. that's weird. Flames coming out of its butt. <laughs> Whatever. It's still weird. <laughs> so, that's, that's a weird saying, thing to say. Uh, no, but it's to say that, yeah, it was it was lumbering. Right. Well, you hear that a lot with it. And there's a story we're going to do later about this famous case of cowboys coming across this sort of flying creature and it's trying to get lift, you know, just like we on the Sky Jelly episode, the Sky Creatures, same sort of idea where it can't quite get up. These things are, you know, they're too big to just, you know, they, they need to be at a perch and then soar. Gliders. Gliders. And that's why I, that reminded me of the idea of the cave, the idea of these things like, you know, not necessarily bats, but uh, gliders, like those sugar bears that are so adorable. I what think that's is what that? they're called. They're like those little soft little mammals that some people have as pets. They're just like little winged soft mammalian critters. You ever seen those? Uh, that sounds familiar. But they're a kind of glider and I think they live in caves or at least nest in caves. But the idea of maybe they're traveling that way and that's why they don't fly so well because they don't normally have to. Yeah. Because they're in the hollow earth. Right. Well, let's get, we'll get to that. <laughs> but I just wanted to continue with this specific account when I was saying why this one's so interesting because you have those three people that see it. You've got Sidney Gregg who's down below. and He's at the bottom of the, you imagine being at the bottom of this thing and seeing this monstrous creature coming down towards you. Yeah. And he sees this thing coming down. Luckily the mail truck comes. And scares them away, or the fast mail, or whatever they call it. Just just crazy. And again, you know, like, this is obviously a pretty incredible story, but the credibility of the witnesses, the character witnesses that saw this thing at different experiences throughout this week in Van Meter, Iowa, I think that's what makes it so interesting. 
you know, Ulysses Griffith, the guy who saw the first lights as he came into town, business owner, reputable guy, started a business with his brother. By all accounts, he was a a kindly man of considerable spirit, a quote, which the community looked upon as a citizen it could ill afford to lose. So someone who was loved and trusted. Right. Uh, The guy who wrote the newspaper article, the first one that was sent out, he was in charge of running the mail. He was the trusted postmaster in Van Meter. Clarence Dunn, John, the guy you were reading about, um, Clarence Peter Dunn, known as Pete, uh, he's in the bank kind of watching for this thing because he thinks it's robbers, right? He thinks these guys are off the rocker. There's not a giant bird, antediluvian dinosaur thing out there. It's robbers. So he's basically waiting and watching for these robbers to come so he can take them out when they try to steal from his bank. Dr. Alcott. Anyway, these guys are all, they're doctors, they're bank owners, they're all part of this community, they're pillars of the community. That's what makes it fascinating. Right. Um, But if if anybody out there is listening, and I know a lot of our listeners are really into the research, check out the link to the book that I mentioned earlier, because they really did a deep dive into, and they, they sorted through all these newspaper articles. Did it do anything supernatural? Okay, the one thing that seems supernatural to me is that light that beaming light and that ties into do they not have the ability to do that dinosaurs i'm talking about oh. like it could have been a hoax oh, oh like a like some sort of i don't think costume or something yeah. flashlights in 1903 you know lanterns yeah. and they had electric light but i don't they didn't i don't think they had mobile electric light. you know it, it, that is an interesting point though because it reminds me of you probably never heard of this john um despite your love of cryptids and strange <laughs> stories uh right. is the uh spring-heeled jack if you've ever heard of him, but I think in the turn of the century, I think it was in England, mm-hmm. there was this this figure that would uh, was up to all kinds of no good, um, stealing women and um, stealing women. Yeah, I think he stole someone's woman hey, from like a second story bedroom or something. There's a, there's an old image of him doing that. Anyways, he's, he's this figure woman. that may be alien, may be demonic, but maybe he kooky inventor. But he had a glowing light, for, I think, from his chest or sometimes his eyes. It's Iron Man. But he could jump tall buildings with a single bound. He, people called him Spring Hill Jack because of the way that he moved. But it kind of reminds me of this, like. It, that could have been a man with some kind of, you know, apparatus, some steampunk technology to, you know, jump from window to window. Like it, that's not as likely, though. Well, and the problem is, like, I mean, hoax. I mean, the only way I could see this being a hoax is if it was uh, all these established members of the community get together in a clandestine meeting and decide for some reason. No, not not them, but like whoever's in the math. No the way, because this thing was. It had wings. It flew. You know, yeah. where's oh, this technology? I didn't realize that it flew. Yeah, well, this is the thing. When we get to the end of the story, um, basically to summarize, you know, at the end of the story, they hear these things down in the mine shafts. This is how the town got started was because of the, the coal mine right. that they sunk. And it did really well for a while, ended up shutting down. But the theory was it became sort of a nesting ground for these things. And they basically hear these things coming out. They see not one creature with this dazzling light, but two, a smaller one with it, flies out. And then they're like, okay, let's get a bunch of people with weapons. Let's come back here. Let's take care of these things. Because, you know, it's interesting, again, like one of these uh, situations where it didn't hurt anybody, but there is this intimidation factor where they're, you know, they're terrified. It's this monstrous sort of creature. They think it will hurt someone. Yeah. So they get all these people with guns to come back to the mine, wait for them to return because they feel it's like their nest or they're at least coming from this place. Um, And they do come back the following day. And when they do, they're firing bullets at them, trying to take them out. And again... Like before, no effect from bullets, but these things fly back in. And the end of one of the newspaper accounts I read said they were still trying, just still trying to find stuff to cover this mine with. Jeepers and that's creepers. the end of the story. Yeah, Jeepers Creepers in the mine. That's what it reminds me of. And no one's no one's gone back. I mean, who knows? I'm sure people have maybe tried to go back and like find yeah. this mine, open it up, but the mine's still there as far as I know. What year was this again? 1903. Okay, so 
I wouldn't want to go in that mine. This thing got pissed apparently, or some version of this thing. This is very similar to the Snallygaster that we're going to get to the extension <laughs> expansion <laughs> yes. episode coming up here. But uh, it's very similar, but it fucking eats people. Yeah, blood rains from the sky. I know. So John, John is deep in the <laughs> Snallygaster like lore. Guy, yeah. um, is it like a dragon? Yeah, partly. Art. Doesn't it sound? It sounds like to me the like the um, what was that children's book we used to read? It was the same guy who wrote Alice in Wonderland. It's that uh, wrote Alice in Wonderland. Jabberwocky, oh. the Jabberwocky. Remember that great story? I don't remember it, but I remember the name. Yeah, it sounds similar. Yeah, there's some. Uh, I mean, the images definitely remind me of that. Well, and we'll have links to this in the show notes for well, sure. Let's just get to the second part then. I want to talk about the Snally. Well, hold on now. We'll get to the Snally. Well, hold on. I'm joking. This is the. This is the guy, John. This is why you, Chris reminds you of this, the Jabberwocky. Oh, yeah, That's definitely. That's That's one image. Uh, this is my, my fi- one of my faves here. That looks just like the Jabberwocky, right? To me. It has like octopus coming out of its mouth. Uh, yeah, well, some accounts would say the mouth. Some would say it's underbelly. Yeah, well, we'll get into this. We'll get into this in the expansion. Yeah, thanks, we're, Jeremy. We're teasing it. Those who aren't expansion pack people yet, sign up. But if you if you can't right now, just Google Snallygaster yeah. and you can get And one of the breaks will play a, a preview, I'm sure. But uh, yeah. So in relation to this, I just wanted to go over two different aspects of some theories behind this. Okay. And so we're, we're going to be talking about... <laughs> Please. <laughs> is that allowed? Go ahead. So we can get to the Snallygaster. I started thinking, okay, obviously, what does it sound like, but possibly a dinosaur, right? That would be the typical sort of idea, the, a flying sort of dinosaur. But I was thinking, okay, why the caves, right? And you're going to be getting into the cave connections too, as we talked about earlier in the introduction. Let's say it's a very physical thing and it is some sort of dinosaur type creature. How could they have survived the calamity, right? That allegedly occurred that wiped out the dinosaurs 65 million years ago. So I was just Googling, looking around online, and I found this interesting article that came out relatively recently titled, Dinosaurs Dug Deep Possibly to Survive Catastrophe. So I was thinking, digging tunnels? Did maybe they try to escape? Digging dinosaurs? You think you would try to escape from this disaster wiped out? you know, the atmosphere or whatever. Um, So this comes from Live Science. Makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, John. (laughs) Uh, So this comes from Live Science. Actually, John, do you want to read this? Sure. John, take it away. An underground den of dinosaurs now reveals the first evidence that at least one species of terrible lizards could burrow. The findings suggest dinosaurs could have endured extremes of heat or cold by finding shelter within dens of their own making. They also hint that such burrowing dinosaurs could have even survived the initial brunt of whatever eventually killed most of them off in the so-called KT extinction some 65 million years ago. The new dinosaur species is dubbed Erictodromeus cubiclarius. <laughs> That's good. Cubiclarius. Nice. Or digging runner of the lair, the herbivore possessed a snout that could have shoveled away dirt. Bam. Hence the story we just were talking about. Yeah. Protuberance. As well as large shoulder bones for powerful muscles and strong hips to support the body. All traits possibly helpful for digging. This bird hip dino is right? a. Ma- bird hipped. Oh, yeah. Is a member of a large group called ornithopods which walked on their hind legs and left behind bird-like footprints <gasps> bird-like. showing spread out toes. These findings also suggest that bipedal dinosaurs with their forelimbs freed up from walking might have been capable of a number of surprising behaviors, like shooting beams of light from their faces. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> okay, that last part probably. Right. Not. 
but pretty interesting, right? Yeah, possible yeah. bioluminescence. Yeah, mm-hmm. I got really Flash excited last night when I came across this article because I was like, okay, burrowing dinosaurs. Maybe there's a connect. You know, that would be an interesting explanation. And then as I kept reading, it kept re- relating back to bird type dinosaurs, bipedal wing dinosaurs yeah, that uh, potentially wing dinosaurs that burrow that have bird-like footprints you know uh, the one guy found and allegedly made a cast of the bird-like footprint or the three-toed footprint uh these things just kind of kept falling into places like, i thought dinosaurs weren't real though oh they're real well, that's a whole of other episode the uh <laughs> <laughs> a look of anger and sadness not anger i they're real i want dinosaurs he swallowed like he was like like he just realized like Christmas might not actually be Santa Claus related. <laughs> Santa Claus related. Like Santa might not be real. The way you swallowed was just like a hurt feeling. Yeah, it looked like you literally swallowed a bitter pill in that moment. Practically rolled your whole body. Yeah, it's just that's a look of dismay. <laughs> Dinosaurs are real. Let's continue. Okay, now that's a whole other episode in theory that'll be fun to get into sometime. Well, that'd be fun. I think they're real, Chris. Thank you. All right, moving on. I just thought that was an interesting article. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And it's, you know, that's the other aspect too, is like you have this possibility of avian type dinosaurs, large bipedal, but how much more simple would it be for those same monsters to run into nearby caves when catastrophe came? Right. And this was a mine shaft, for example. Exactly. And that's another aspect of this. They dropped this mine shaft. They found this coal vein that basically created the boom of the town, got them up to a thousand citizens, Mm -hmm. eventually closed. But I was just considering the idea of like, maybe when they dropped this shaft, that woke something up or that opened up a passageway to a surviving population of dinosaur. I know it sounds out there, but yeah. what an interesting concept if that could be the case. And if these tunnels could connect around the country, potentially around the world, how deep does it go? Yeah. Oh, exactly. And the, you know, the cave, the caverns, I bet if you look into these encounters and experiences and we, and we have in a lot of these and you find these connections and you will find these connections of there always or oftentimes being a cave dug nearby or a mine shaft or a silver shaft or something. Right. Uh, we find that a lot. Even in Point Pleasant, I was looking into some of that, but we'll have to save, save that for another episode with, with Mothman. Mothman. But uh, but they had, uh, the silver mine, Silverton was a town near there they think was was named after this old silver mine, silver shaft that was dug. Right. So yeah, you have these digging into the earth, these disturbances of the earth into these deeper layers. Right. And containing the earth stuff, you know, I, I was thinking like, why would winged dinosaurs be coming up from underneath the ground? And that's kind of what got me thinking like, well, if there is a civilization or a world that exists beneath our feet, miles and miles underground, the sky would meet our underground. So the things that would be coming out would be winged. Just, yeah. a, just a fun thing to consider. And the last thing I want to talk about relating to Van Meter is the Native Connection. You mean Native American Connection? Yeah, the Native American connection, the, the specifically Iowa, the area of Iowa, uh, but the Midwest in general also. So this comes from the Van Meter Visitor by Lewis Voss and Nelson. Tales of large winged creatures are found in indigenous oral traditions throughout the upper Midwest going back centuries. The Iowa tribe lived in the south central part of Iowa where Van Meter is today. Many Northern Plains tribes had oral traditions mentioning unusual winged creatures. The Iowa have a tale involving two of their most famous heroes, the mythical twins, Dor and Waradura. In the story, Dor and Waradura climb a tall tree and encounter four winged men. Each had magical powers to call up wind, rain, or thunder with their wings. I hate when that happens, right? Ukramanyi had the power of shooting lightning from his eyes. 
Yeah, so it made me think of that, right? Tie-in. goes back to that. However, even with these tremendous powers, they were outsmarted by the clever twins because twins are the best, right? Twins are clever. Tales of large-winged creatures called thunderbirds are common among the Northern Plains tribes. As we know, we've talked about this before a little bit. The Lakota Sioux call them wakya, meaning sacred winged one. The Ojibwe, a.k.a. Chippewa, have a similar word for thunderbirds, wakanyan. They also use the word anamakik, meaning thunderers. Chippewa, huh? That's right where, where we, we are. Mm-hmm. Dad taught there. Dad taught at Chippewa High School. He's your dad. And he encountered a couple thunderbirds, if I remember, under the school. Yeah. That's fact. Under the school. <laughs> they would actually have meetings with the local... <laughs> he kept the peace yes. between the Thunderbirdic people. <laughs> the thunder calmer they called that, I think. Dave, you will make Parfit's paradise. <laughs> <laughs> no one knows what that is. I know. That's a good reference. Sorry. Thunderbirds were thought to be benevolent spirits if treated with respect. However, if angered, they could create destructive wasmawin, the Ojibwe word for lightning. Again, that light, shooting right. light. It is derived from the word waskaneg, meaning to give off light, which I think is also interesting because it's not so much, you know, you hear that shoots lightning, but to give off light. It's yeah. that, it's a more subtle illumination. Right, more flashlight. Yeah. The animakeek are often said to cause the sound of thunder by moving their huge wings and flash lightning by opening and closing their eyes. So, again, just lightly touching on the Thunderbird stuff, but a lot of these cultures have the humanoid wing creature thing and that connection of shooting light from the eyes. Interesting thing about the Van Meter creature is that you never hear its eyes described. You just hear when it's asleep, for example, it's awoken and immediately the beam of light is turned on the person who woke it up. So it seems almost as if anytime it, wow. anytime it's looking, it's emitting a light as if it is directly coming from its eyes, yeah. which is interesting because it relates right back to the native peoples of the area talking about these legends of these bipedal thunderbird creatures emitting light from their faces. Yeah, it's a very unique and distinct characteristic, right. which I think gives it a kind of credibility. My personal opinion. That kind of wraps up the Van Meter <laughs> the stuff. The weirder it is, the more credibility. <laughs> That's what I say. Do you know that cliff, Jeremy? This great cliff of Jeremy where he convinces himself within one sentence of something he completely doesn't believe at all. Here it is. It was great. I wouldn't, I kind of see, I definitely see the romp. <laughs> now that's not an edited clip. That is Jeremy within one breath convincing himself of something he doesn't believe at all. <laughs> one more time. You got to, you got to really even listen to okay, just Okay, okay. I wouldn't, I kind of see, I definitely see the romp. Okay, so I wouldn't necessarily, I kind of see, I definitely see. Exactly. Really? Oh, that's, I you, think that's like a second where you go through yeah. three <laughs> processes of that thinking. That shows you how hard it is to convince me of something. <laughs> Jeremy the Believer. What a discriminatory thinker I am. But anyway, that kind of wraps up what I want to get into with the Van Meter stuff, at least for today. There's so much to go into on this. And again, this is a great resource. We'll have the link for this book in the show notes um, because they really do a deep dive into not just this experience, but supernatural lore surrounding Van Meter involving lake monsters, hauntings. Um, It's a pretty haunted place, allegedly, uh, at least in history. So we'll have that linked in the show notes. And um, if you guys are ready to take a break, we can do that. Yeah, let's take a break. Train's coming. Train's coming. When we get back, we're going to get into some listener accounts of some interesting bird like beings? Yes. Correct. So we got some good listener accounts. We're going to recap one and then tell a new one or play one from a good listener and friend named Sh- name, name of Shannon. Uh, and we will also get into maybe perhaps a, uh, a standoff between some cowboys and a dinosaur. See you in a minute.
Hey everybody, it's John from Belief Hole here, the show you're listening to right now. I'm about to play a little teaser for this week's Patreon episode. It was a super fun show, where we get into tales of the Snallagaster, among other bizarre creatures. This was a really good one, so don't miss it. Head over to beliefhole.com and click the Patreon button to sign up and get access to our expansion episodes, as well as our off-the-cuff episodes. It's only five bucks a month, so if you like what we do, help support the show and sign up on Patreon. Now roll the clip. Now, the reason I included this specific cultural reference separated by oceans and time is because the whistle. Now, we're about to get in the Snallygaster. Is the Snallygaster a whistler? The Snallygaster has a whistle. All right, all right. A terrifying, screeching whistle. Now, a lot of what you find online about the Snallygaster comes from legendsofamerica.com, some other resources, but all of it seems to be taken, or much of it seems to be taken from a book called Snallygaster, The Legend of Frederick County by Patrick Boyton. What is this? <laughs> Snallygaster never gets old either. It just gets better. <laughs> it gets better every time you say it. It doesn't ever get old. For centuries, a large winged beast known as the Snallygaster is said to have terrified the people of Frederick County, Maryland. The dragon-like beast is described as being half reptile, half bird, and lives deep in the caves of South Mountain. See again, the caves. The mysterious creature is said to swoop silently down from the sky, stealing farm animals and children from the unsuspecting farm folk. Some say it's real. (laughs) So the area was settled by German immigrants around the 1730s, and they called the creature Schnellergeist. Schnellergeist. Which means quick spirit in German. Mach schnell means more fast. Yeah, so quick. Mm-hmm. Nice, Chris. Thank you. Way to add to the conversation. The Nazi knows a little German. So the earliest folklore... <laughs> Nazi, Chris. <laughs> the earliest folklore in this region... This is interesting because this is the northeastern United States where these immigrants from Germany have come. And the earliest folklore that they started there or brought with them talks about the Snellergeist as being half bird, but also having half nightmarish features of demons and ghouls. Other descriptions, and I think further down as you start hearing reports of a real Snellygaster um, in the area. <laughs> so real. And I know it sounds silly, I know. but it's just a word. Well, we're getting there. We're getting to the root of um, it. They also describe the beast as being half reptile or half bird with metallic-like beak lined with razor-sharp teeth. That sounds really scary. And sometimes it is described as having octopus-like tentacles. What kind of a goddamn creature is this? <laughs> it sounds like a Japanese porn monster. Oh, like a hen- wait, what is that? Tentacle porn? Hentai? Uh, hentai is an- is that anime porn? Maybe I don't know. You're the porn guy. That's true. I'll check my <laughs> records. Uh, so this was myth at first. The Germanic people brought this myth. It was myth that was developed in the area because of things that they had, had seen or talked about. But then in more modern times, in 1909, this myth becomes a reality. Newspapers begin reporting about a beast similar in description. I think the first uh, report was from a man named James Harding, who said he saw the creature flying overhead at a close distance. His description of the Snallygaster was a huge winged monster with a long, sharp beak, claws like steel hooks, and having one eye in the middle of his head. Man, that's always the thing with these 1900s accounts of things, like in our Sky Whale episode. The one eye. The creature with the one glowing red eye. Maybe there was a thing at the time, something that existed that had a singular eye.
Welcome back, listeners. Time to get into some Wild West, what, dino hunting, Chris? Yeah, I'm excited What's about this. What's going on? You're always excited. That's how you start everything. Well, even when I'm not, I just say it. <laughs> okay. But I am excited about this one because this one reminds me, we were talking about the movie Tremors. This story reminds me so much. And I wonder if the writers for Tremors back in the early 90s were inspired by this story because it's probably the most famous account of cowboys versus dinosaurs or some ancient Of the many monster. accounts. Of the many accounts. Of there are many accounts. Well, in the cryptid world. Of cowboys versus dinosaurs? Yeah, there's a whole book on it. And the book that I had for this for this episode is called Cowboys and Saurians by John LeMay. And he goes in depth on this story, which a lot of people out there who are into the cryptid stuff, they've probably heard this story before. But it's about this pterodactyl-like creature that is seen in Cochise County, Arizona. The Huachica Desert. Yeah. Um, so another article I want to read real quick. And John, you were so good with that Sam Neilish accent. Or Sam, Sam Neil. Sam Neil. <laughs> Um, from Jurassic Park. Sam, Sam Elliott. Elliot, yeah. Uh, if you want to read this one, and this this is interesting. So this comes from the Tombstone Epitaph. I'm sure many of you out there are familiar with Tombstone. Great film and great place to visit. I'll be a huckleberry. That's where you had the shootout at the OK Corral with Doc Holliday and the Earp Brothers. Yeah, Daisy, um, if you do. Yeah, so this comes from the Tombstone Epitaph, kind of as the town's dying. And again, that's one of the arguments for maybe this was a fabrication for bringing people back in, sort of like Van Meter and how they're town was it's kind of dying from the coal boom had gone but they were still doing well uh, how um, dark though you name your town tombstone and the newspaper is the epitaph right. like the inscription on well, the tombstone. You're, you're surrounded by death all the time in the old west so well, especially I, out, out there and that was kind of a rough town right oh absolutely holiday yeah, and, you're on the frontier so this yeah this comes from the tombstone epitaph and there is some exaggeration well you'll hear the you'll hear the account we'll talk about the credibility of this particular article and if there's anything to the story that comes later that maybe gives some more credibility to the seemingly exaggerated account so again this comes from the tombstone epitaph the title of this article is found on the desert a strange winged monster discovered and killed on the huachuca desert a winged monster resembling a huge alligator with an extremely elongated tail, an immense pair of wings was found on the desert between the Whetstone and the Huachica Mountains last Sunday by two ranchers who were returning home from the Huachicas. The creature was evidently greatly exhausted by a long flight and when discovered was able to fly but a short distance at a time. After the first shock of wild amazement had passed, the two men who were on horseback and armed with Winchester rifles regained sufficient courage to pursue the monster, and after an exciting chase of several miles, succeeded in getting near enough to open fire with their rifles and wounding it. The creature then turned on the men, but owing to its exhausted condition, they were able to keep out of its way, and after a few well-directed shots, the monster partly rolled over and remained motionless. The men cautiously approached, their horses snorting with terror, and found that the creature was dead. <laughs> they then proceeded to make an examination and found that it measured about 92 feet in length, and the greatest diameter was about 50 inches. The monster had only two feet, these being situated a short distance in front of where the wings were joined to the body. The head, as near as they could judge, was about eight feet long, the jaws being thickly set with strong, sharp teeth. Its eyes were as large as a dinner plate and protruded about halfway from the head. They had some difficulty in measuring the wings as they were partly folded under the body, but finally got one straightened out sufficiently to get a measurement of 78 feet, 
making the total length from tip to tip about 160 feet. That's pretty ridiculous. The wings were composed of a thick and nearly transparent membrane and were devoid of feathers or hair, as was the entire body. The skin of the body was comparatively smooth and easily penetrated by a bullet. The men cut off a small portion of the tip of one wing and took it home with them. Late last night, one of them arrived in the city for supplies and to make the necessary preparations to skin the creature. I need monster skin and supplies, gentlemen. The hide will be sent east for examination by the eminent scientists of the day. The finder returned early this morning, accompanied by several prominent men who will endeavor to bring the strange creature to the city before it's mutilated. It's gigantic. Pretty outlandish, yeah. It's, it's like a serpent it's dragon. It's like a dragon, right? Not like a pterodactyl or a pterosaur. Like a brontosaurus. Like a flying brontosaurus. Flying worm. So yeah, the, the size of this thing, it sounds more like a dragon from like medieval times. Not so much like a pterosaur or a pterodactyl or any of the flying dinosaur type creatures, right? right? It doesn't really match with the sighting in Van Meter in that regard, right? This huge thing. So one of the reasons why this is such a beloved story and also why it's one that is considered one of the most outlandish and probably unlikely is because, because of the size. Uh, but interestingly enough, John LeMay, the guy who wrote this book, he's collected some resources that indicate that the real people who had this experience, the real cowboys behind this came out later and discussed this newspaper article saying that it was a gross exaggeration of what they actually witnessed. And what they actually witnessed was this sort of dinosaur type flying creature, but the dimensions were not nearly as large. So it kind of brings, interesting. brings it back in. Well, um, yeah, it's, it's especially interesting that the original cowboys later on in life would revisit the story. And instead of trying to live up to that hype of the size, they corrected the record. Right. That gives it more credibility to yeah. say that this thing was real and it was lied about initially, but it actually happened. Right. And this is what John LeMay has to say about it. He says, the tombstone story gained more credibility when a non-embellished, quote, real version of the story surfaced. Tombstone researcher Joshua Hawley is quoted in Copper State Monsters as saying that in either the 1930s or 1940s, one of the real ranchers came forward during the Heldorado celebration. Hawley said that there is one strange thread to the story that leaves some plausibility to it. There was one old cowboy there, and he decided to speak out, and he told reporters that he was one of the ranchers that shot at the creature. But they misled the story so badly. Basically, him and his friend chased the creature as it flew in the air, but the horses were getting spooked and turned around on them, and they couldn't get back to where they were chasing the creature, and they were a little frightened too. They never shot it down. They never killed it, and it flew away. It's still out there. You know you went to Van Meter? This same account was also told to Harry McClure in Lordsburg, New Mexico, a town near the state border with Arizona. In 1910, McClure claimed that he knew the two ranchers, said to be well-respected within the community, that had shot the monster bird when he was living in Lordsburg. McClure's remembrance of what the two men told him was much more grounded than what was printed in the epitaph. According to McClure, the men told him the creature had a wingspan between only 20 and 30 feet, perfect measurements for either a pterodon or a Quetzalcoatlus. Quetzalcoatlus must be named after Quetzalcoatl. The monster was struggling to become airborne and managed to do so twice before landing. Just so, like in Van Meter when it was struggling to exactly. fly. Exactly. So then it ties right back in. If you take the original report from the epitaph at face value, you're like, okay, this is a bullshit monster story. If you take into account the later experiences 
reported by the supposed cowboys that were actually there, it reduces the monster story, the, the size of this monster. And you would think if it was made up, it would be further exaggerated. Right, but it added, added that credibility. Yeah, who knows? But This I, is a Snallygaster, man. Is it? Yeah, reading this story, it's a freaking Snallygaster. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I just, it was an interesting story and I love that story because it does, it again reminds me of uh, the characters from Tremors, Val and uh, Earl, Earl, yeah. Kevin Bacon and the other guy who's great. Uh, sorry, the other guy. Um, sorry, the other guy, you don't know his name. But it reminds me that it's, it's Cowboys on the Frontier, you know, coming across some terrible monster yeah. and trying to catch a piece of it and bring well, it I like home. that he admitted that they were scared and the horses were scared and right. they couldn't actually. Definitely brings a little more credibility to this seemingly outlandish story. Right. It's real. It's all real. Definitely. It's all real. Well, that brings us to, I think, uh, some more modern accounts sent in by listeners. Yeah, that's right. Uh, do we want to, I kind of wanted to revisit. Well, let's, let's go ahead and let's play um, Shannon. Shannon uh, sent in a really good story. Um, the, it's not from the account that, I, that I've heard. It does not compare to the Snallygaster or this thing. <laughs> but it is a bizarre bird type experience that lends, um, I guess, lends corroborative evidence to the idea that there are Abnormally sized birds out there. Abnormally sized birds. And even if this thing wasn't monstrous, she, she actually seems like she was scared at the time, but was uh, kind of um, enamored by it in, in yeah. a way. Well, you'll hear the, in, the, in the speak pipe. So let's, let's roll that, John. Hi, guys. I just wanted to say I love your podcast. You make my days. Aww. Thank you. Thank you. I live in the northeastern Ohio, Cleveland, suburban area as well. I live pretty close to Hell's Town or Mutane Town. Oh, yeah. I would just love if you ever did an episode on that. We should. Those legends are incredible, and I've experienced some incredible things just being in that town. But today, I want to tell you about a time about 13 years ago, I was walking to work one day and cut through sort of a wooded area close to where I live even now and normally I would be looking out for people who would be hiding over there sometimes freak me out but this particular day I was walking along in this tall grass when the trees came like to an open field and I came face to face with a giant bird I'm only 5'2 but this was like quite a sight I'll never forget I was just eye to eye with a giant blackbird with really large wings that were just laying on the sides of him. It took me a good several moments to figure out what I should do, if I should pass him, or at which point I remember him sort of being very still, and so slowly I tiptoed sideways around him like still looking at him the get whole out of there Shannon. get out of he there he didn't move very much i don't remember anything at all maybe blinking it's creepy and then when i got far enough away from him what i thought far enough in my mind i just ran the rest of the way to work i didn't even like look back at all um i i remember it being at least the same height as me if not a little bit taller I remember it being spring outside, like the ground was sort of soft and wet. I have told several people about this, and basically friends of friends have said they have seen the same kind of bird before. I'll never forget it, and although it scares me so much to even still think about the bird or what the sight was like, 
I would sort of love to see it again one day because it must have been a magnificent creature from what I can remember. Um, just wanted to say one more time because I really love you guys. Thank you so much for all you do. Keep up your superb work. You're awesome. I really love you oh, wow. and you really do make my day. Thanks a lot, guys. Shannon, bye. Thank you, Shannon. And um, you're lucky it wasn't hungry. That's all I would say. It doesn't seem like she was af afraid. Of well, it, she though. said at first she was, but thinking back on it, she'd like to see it again because it must have been a magnificent creature. And it definitely sounds like it was. Yeah, it doesn't sound as uh, intimidating as some of the other accounts. I know, but I. I just it creeped me out just thinking of this like <laughs> five and a half foot tall bird standing in the in the woods in your way and you're tiptoeing around it and then it's just it's blinking maybe blinking go on your way human yeah pay homage to me and continue that would be terrifying though just something of that size yeah. and it harkens back to Maddie's story which is only a few hours south in Lebanon southern Ohio oh that was the bird that was uh, the, the large black bird that was I think even taller six or so feet seven feet it was in the road during a lightning storm when her mom was driving. The story has been told outside of my family, mostly because it seems pretty unbelievable to most people. This is an experience my mom and younger sister had about two months ago in Lebanon, Ohio. I'll try to tell it as best I can. It was late, maybe 11, 11.30. There was a lightning storm going on and it was pouring rain. My mom described it as a very electric sort of feeling. She said the energy was very different. They were taking back roads to get home from my grandparents. It's a route we've all driven numerous times. So it's dark and it's pouring rain, and at this point, my sister was, in her own words, mesmerized by a set of glowing eyes caught by the headlights. At this same moment, my mom became fixated on what she describes as about seven feet tall and oil slick black with long draped feathers that reached to the ground. She said its feathers were similar to an ostrich, but long, touching the ground and flaring out. I am fairly certain that there are no ostriches in Lebanon, she said this encounter happened in a flash, too brief to get a good look, although the thing was motionless. She looked to the road and back, but it was gone in a split second. My sister refused to let her stop to turn around. After getting home, she searched all over online, trying to find anything she could about what it may have been. Yeah, there's 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 so many of these accounts, which is why you know we talk about doing this episode. And in the same area. I mean, in Ohio, at right. least. Um, I looked a little more into Lebanon, where Maddie's story took place. Uh -huh. And I was curious about if there were any caves in the area. And I didn't find too much. There's caves like a few hours away. So, I mean, you know, in a decently close range. But there is a large earthen structure, uh, a historical site that the Hopewell supposedly constructed. Mound builders. Called Fort Ancient. Yeah. And this thing is ridiculous. Let's see. So it was... Uh, it's the largest prehistoric hilltop enclosure in the United States with three and one half miles of walls in a 100 acre complex. Wow. Built by the Hopewell culture who lived in the area from 200 BC to 480. The site is situated on a wooded bluff 270 feet above the Little Miami River. It is the namesake of a culture known as Fort Ancient who lived near the complex long after it was constructed. This is interesting. Some archaeologists, this goes back to the Boogeyman episode, Chris, with these earthen structures you were talking right. about and their purposes. Some archaeologists originally thought the site was created to provide a shelter against enemies. However, that interpretation is now discounted as the site presents anomalies inconsistent with defensive use, such as ditches are located inside the walls rather than outside as a means of defense, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, like the moat we talked about, spiritual moat, protecting from spirits and entities. The 84 gateway openings in the walls could not have been defended in case of attack. Evidence has not been found for the number of occupants necessary for a significant defense force. So in other words, this fort, this structure, 
is barricaded off, I guess, by the Little Miami River. Um, and we don't really know the purpose of it, but it's gigantic. 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 <laughs> it's gigantic. Um, and we, we should do an episode on, on earthworks, and that ties into giant burial mounds. But it seems like there are a multitude of anomalous occurrences in and around these these earthwork areas, these ancient burial mounds and, and quote, forts, which actually don't seem to appear to have been forts. Yeah. Um, and synchronistically, when I looked at the map of Fort Ancient in Lebanon, right across from there is the Ohio Barn Quilts company. Now that's going to tie in when we get to Snallygaster's guys. <laughs> Quilts? Because the reason, you know those those stars you see on barns? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those were called uh, I didn't write down here because we're getting to a Patreon but they're, they're I think they're called like Hexen stars or something like that and the idea was the early Germanic people that settled in the area in Pennsylvania and, and uh, Ohio Northeast, they would put these on the sides of buildings to ward off evil entities oh, really? and spirits. Oh really? I didn't know yeah. that. So we'll get into that more with because in the Snallygaster is a direct connection to those stars. The stars are there because of the Snallygaster. Snallygaster to the stars. That should be the episode. <laughs> That'll be the in- expansion. Cool. So stick around for well, that. Go, getting back to these uh, winged creature encounters, I just there was one that I came across as interesting, and I'm going to reach out to these guys because I don't know if these accounts are true. If these people, if we can validate these people that are eyewitnesses to these accounts, there's an interesting phenomenon going, in, going on in Ravenna, Ohio. Oh, really? Very Mothman-like. Uh, and you know, super close to here. And this one particular account I thought was interesting. And I, I'm going to reach out to these guys, Quest Paranormal team, if you're listening out there. I'm going to send you an email because I am curious to see the legitimacy behind some of these accounts. But um, John, you want to read this one? You can read the date and stuff if you want. Okay. This was in Ohio. This was, I can't <laughs> you say. say your own state. Ohio. <laughs> this was in Ohio, July 2014, Ravenna, Ohio, actually, uh, from the Quest Paranormal team. A witness reported seeing a large winged creature hovering over power lines just off Beechwood Road just before daylight. Quote, couldn't get a good look at it. It was too far away and I think it was facing away from me. It was dark in color and seemed to have a small glow around it. Its head was close to the body like it didn't have a neck. It looked much bigger than a man. I could hear the wings flapping out of my car window. It was like if you were waving a bedsheet in the air. That cracking sound it makes. The wings were huge, maybe 20 feet. This was not a bird. I know what a bird looks like. End quote. Wow. <laughs> nice. Interesting, you know? I like that detail of the, the cracking of like the yeah. bedsheet sound. Yeah. And 20 feet. Yeah, and right up the road Same here. dimensions as that... Uh, a lot of stuff going on around here. Yeah. pod or whatever. I've the never Cowboys. seen anything. Personally, that's because you've been given screen memories about big birds giving chapstick to you. <laughs> um, the last kind I want to read is just a simple one, but it's, it again goes to this connection. And I didn't get super into the migration theory that I was talking about last week or last episode, um, but this does correlate to it. And we will, I'll, I'll just put it in this episode because we'll see if we'll get to the migration stuff in Mothman. But I'll put a link to this map that kind of maps out these accounts from Phantoms and Monsters. You can kind of you can kind of see the trajectory: know, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, that all around the Great Lakes area, and the dates. There's a great timeline graph that I that I'll put in there too. I'm telling you, they're traveling through caves, man. Yeah, traveling through caves. That's an interesting idea. It's a correct idea. This comes from Michigan. Uh, large dark-winged humanoid. This is from Lon Strickland's site, Phantom Monsters. We've mentioned on Saturday. February 9th, 2019. Recent. At around 10.30 p.m., I was driving into town on my way to work when I saw a dark figure the size of an adult human leap from a tree and fly across the sky over the road. I slammed on my brakes and watched this massive creature fly into a nearby wooded area. I tried to get pictures, but because it was dark out 
and this creature appeared to be jet black in color, nothing was visible in the photos. I live in Clayton, Michigan, and work in Adrian, and where I saw this creature was about halfway between the two towns, and the towns are only a 20-minute drive apart. This is down in southeast Michigan, about 30-minute drive from the Michigan-Ohio state line, so if we were all seeing the same creature, it is definitely migrating. Creepy. It sounds just like the other one you just read from uh, from Ravenna. That, that yeah. it's a black, dark figure. Right. Humanoid, Mothman type creature. And they both seem to Dinosaur. be following the following the road, just yeah. like in Lebanon, Ohio, was seen alongside the road. It's interesting. There's definitely like, and again, like there's so many interesting accounts you can read online, and whether or not these witnesses are credible is another matter. You kind of have to take it on the researcher themselves. And I know Lon Strickland's a legit guy. I'm going to reach out to the Quest Paranormal team and see if I can get some more information on their witness experiences, uh, if they're open to sharing that information. Is that the freedom monster? A freedom demon, they yeah, call it? Yeah, that's what they're calling this this flap of sightings in Ravenna, Ohio that's been going on. They're calling we it need the, to go we'll out there. We'll see. We'll see. I'm going to look more into that. But yeah, interesting to wrap up with some more contemporary accounts. So whether it's back in 1903 with the Van Meter Visitor or whether it's you know 1966 with Mothman, which we're going to get into next episode probably, or whether it's this year in the late Great Lakes area with all these recent sightings, something seems to be going on. Well, and I would argue too that I know these are similar accounts and we've, we've covered them because they're obviously flying unidentified um, entities, but I would argue that these more modern accounts do seem more reminiscent of the Mothman and less like a, right. a dinosaur oh, yeah. or dragon type character like the Snallygaster, <laughs> which seems much more vicious and less of like kind of a harbinger of a supernatural or, yeah. omen giver, omen bringer. Exactly. But I see how they do tie in. So yeah. Um, so thanks guys. I hope that you, uh, you guys got some interesting anecdotal information from that. Yeah, do you guys have any accounts of anything you've seen strange or experienced? It doesn't have to be a Snallygaster. It can be whatever, <laughs> whatever freaked you out. Feel free to send it into us. Before we do go though, I really, uh, we got that great stinger to play, John. Yeah, and I also wanted to mention we got a special patron during the show. Oh, oh I saw that pop up. During the show? A Nicholas special. Daniel. Nicholas Daniel. Yeah, he's a shout out to him. Thank you, sir. Thanks, buddy. Thanks Friend to the whole, of men. The whole Daniel clan, they've been really pushing hard to spread the word on our Libsyn thing. And anybody out there listening, take uh, take just two minutes. It really only takes less than two minutes to just go, go to... Um, our website, beliefful.com, and on the homepage, you'll find uh, a shout out where we're, we're reaching our hand out from the ocean asking for help uh, to just fill out a survey. It's a really short survey, and it'll help us uh, long and prosper. Help us qualify for advertising so we can help fund the show to a better degree and actually be able to do this more often and get you guys more content, more stories, more research. Take two seconds to go do it. It would mean the world to us. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, and on that note, John, well, yeah, here Marsha's. So this is Marsha's stinger that I did, and. Uh... <laughs> No, this she is a part of a paranormal investigative team. It sounds like awesome from her um, profile. So, I thought I'd go ahead and uh, see if I could use a ghost box. Oh, which if you don't know what a ghost <laughs> oh, yeah. is, it a ghost box? Yeah, yeah. it's a uh, it basically scans through radio stations uh, very quickly, and it picks up like little hints of speech. Right, and uh, the idea is that the ghost can manipulate that, right? Right, yeah. create like a message. Exactly, allegedly. and you can pick out words and phrases. And uh, so I thought I would get, I would do one and see if I could, you know, find anything out about Marsha. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, <laughs> I like this setup. All right, Marsha. So this one's for you, Marsha. <laughs> wow, that's lucky. Thank you. 
Ghost. Yeah. Did just, you have any weird experiences when you was that a real ghost box you used? Oh, uh, it was an app. An app. Yeah. Did anything weird happen when you were doing that? Well, yeah. Besides that entity coming Besides through and the, talking the, to Marsha, thanking her for being a patron. That was obviously well, we, strange. We but. had uh, there's another app sort of thing that I pulled up where it actually well, let's pull it up. Oh, like it cycles actually, through words. Yeah, it cycles through words. It'll just say the word. And, yeah, I've uh, seen those. I used one once. It's strange. Because I don't, I initially didn't put much stock into it because it's like it's an app. Like I don't know the mechanics of how that works. I'm it turning sounds, it on right now. But I mean, there was one experience we had where Jeremy was over at our parents' house and turned it on, and I'm standing under the archway between the room with the picture window and the living room, and it, two words came up: Christian and threshold. Yeah, my name's Christian, and I was standing at a threshold. So it was standing a little strange. Doorway. Yeah. yeah. But what about you, John? Did you have any relaxed, scared? Oh, there it is. Like signify. This is live. Well, when we were Wait. recording. Uh, any spirits have any messages for our listeners out there? Sleep. <laughs> Sleep? Picture. <laughs> Bored. Hang. <laughs> picture hang. Wall. Oh. Somebody out there is like, I'm literally hanging Green. a picture on my wall right now. Resist. Grandmother. Resist your grandma's here. Laugh. Huh. Jacob. Oh, Who? your dog. That's your dog's name, John. He's got something to say. Okay, this earlier... Oh. Anyways, <laughs> earlier this was it's not going <laughs> so we don't right too much talk of these things. But, but earlier we got here, I took a screenshot, or you took a screenshot yeah. of uh, John's phone when he was doing this. When we first got here, first turned it on yeah. to do the, to record the episode. And what did it say? I'll John? put that screen, those screenshot words? on the show notes. Yeah, there was um, four in sequence that I thought were interesting. There was like four or five. It was like um, right away. Yeah, um, it was kind of interesting. Let's see, because you're explaining to us the stinger and how you did it with this. Ghost box, but then you showed us the app that you downloaded, and right. as soon as you turned this it on, is, it is weird. So we had just walked in. Oh, this is pretty close. It says "talk, enter, brother, believe, laugh." Yeah, yeah. very strange because it's like what exactly what we'd done. We had just gotten to John's. We just walked in our show, Belief Hole. We're brothers, and then we were laughing about it, and then yeah, that was really yeah, yeah. That, that's pretty crazy. I mean, believe and brother together are. It's pretty uncanny. Yeah, I think after that it said like success, uh, <laughs> greed, revenge, murder, <laughs> death, kill. Yeah, it does something like that. Um, but it was interesting too because it, it did it's get read like a handful of like stuff that didn't seem to apply, like right. maybe five or something, but then it stopped and slowed and then it started picking up speed. And then it, when it right. picked up that speed is when we got those. Well, I think that's the argument that's made for this. these types of tools is that the reason that they work is not because of some magical apparatus or mechanism, but it's more of it allows uh, spiritual entities or energy to manipulate the results so that they can kind of tweak what's coming through. Again, I mean, it would be interesting to do a whole show on this. I think we talked about it when we had our EVP episode yeah. uh, to talk about some of these technologies. We should maybe do that when we do the white white noise voices episode we were talking oh, about. Yeah, doing. We should idea. maybe do a little section with this guy and try it out. Yeah. See what we can do. If you guys aren't too freaked out by that out there. Well, we hope you guys liked today's show. Before we go, I would like to read uh, last 
episode, we read through some patrons that had signed up recently, and I thought it would be good to go back and read the ones from the start and just get through the the people that have been there to support us and give them a little shout out. Okay. If you guys are good with that. Go for it. So Give it some enthusiasm. Okay. So thank you so much to Ron, Ron Church, Church. Yes. Trisha, Trisha White, White. Yes. Stephen Rogers, yes. Joe Rice, Rice. Nicole yes. Rice, yes. Andrew, Andrew Gore, Gore. Excellent. Abby, Abby. Yes. Natty, Natty King, King. Yes. Christopher, Christopher Atkins, yes. Brayson Rael, yes. we have Lauren Maurer, yes. Nate Ivey, yes. Ryan Ivey, Excellent. Nicole Desiree, yes. Christopher McCoy, yes. Josh Richards, yes. Wendy Leppert, yes. Michelle Kosiolek, yes. Burkett, Excellent. Chris Walsh, Molly, <laughs> Chris Walsh, Chris Walsh, yes. Molly Smith, and Jeffrey Nordlinger. And also, Jeffrey Nord. And also, Angie Colario, Lauren Beams, Zeb Donlan, Sharice Powell, Zachary Daniel, Brandon Watkins, Louis Stark, Raina, Tyler Young, and Tyler Young. Excellent. Thank all of you for being patrons. For those of you who have yet to hear your names called, that'll be the next episode. I think that'll catch us up for the current list. Um, thank you so much for everybody's support. People that have offered to help out, um, Palmer's, Brian up in Michigan, handing out cards. People writing in, want to know how they can help. Uh, let us know if you're interested in helping out. Uh, oh yeah, wait, we, had, we, <laughs> we had some great fan art submitted. Uh, oh yeah, TJ. TJ, uh, sent in on Facebook, sent us uh, some great fan art. We're going to have that up on the website and uh, probably tweet it out through Instagram. Show notes. <laughs> yeah. Tweet it out through, tweet Instagram. It out through Instagram. Or, you know, we'll share it. <laughs> but I'm going to insta it on my FB. It's pretty great. So you guys will enjoy that. Um, so thank you to everybody who's, who's signed up to be a patron. You really help us keep going. You really help us support the show so we can keep doing this for you guys. If you're not a patron yet and you want to get double the episodes plus some additional content, some off-the-cuff episodes we release, uh, go to beliefhole.com, click on the Patreon button, and sign up for the expansion tier. And... We are going to be taking a little trip. Traveling. And when we come back, I think we're going to try to offer some more different tiers. Like yeah. mm-hmm. we want to try to do uh, for a certain tier, a monthly um, chat, video chat with, with people that want to sign up for that. We're not sure exactly what, how that's going to go, but we are going to do some sort of interactive video conferencing thing with people. So you look forward to faces. that. Yeah. It's terrifying. Uh, yeah, we might do some ghost boxing like we tried today. Uh, might uh, do some, I don't know, trivia. I don't know. We'll do something fun. That no, you guys no trivia. Like. No trivia. Don't like trivia. But we could just do... Or maybe uh, some topical. Like, yeah, some topical. Tell us your stories. We'll, we'll uh, go over some... Some sort of interaction. Yeah. Get your thoughts on some things directly. Yeah, well, so we're going to have some more tiers, definitely. And yeah, as John said, when we get back, uh, we will be in Austin, Texas at some point, maybe at the end of March. So any fans out there that want to buy us a beer... <laughs> Please know. feed us. Yeah, um, but yeah, guys, uh, stick around for all that. And uh, but we're not taking a break content-wise. We'll still have our regular episodes out and our Patreon episodes. So look forward to that. Get signed up as an expansion patron on Patreon, and uh, we will continue to love you more and more. Absolutely. And for all of you expansion people out there, get ready for the second part of this birdtastic episode. And Jeremy's going to get into some strange, strange, strangeness. Right, Jeremy? Reptilian goes stuff. Jeremy's oh, so crazy deep. corner. Jeremy's crazy corner. It goes so deep. We got Snally Gasters. Reptilians. We were getting into some reptilian underground tunnels Activity, again. underground tunnels. Awesome. Um, real encounters, allegedly. Just some interesting, fascinating stuff. We yeah, Everything from... Uh, Sounds real creepy. I might crack real a beer. Real fun. It's been a, like a week since I, I had might, alcohol. I might, have a, yeah, I might have a drink for this one. It's going to be... Uh, it's going to be slithery, guys. So stay Sweet. tuned. I'm going to have some Snallygaster blood. If you had some, I'd be really, I don't know, 
probably scared. <laughs> Where did that come from? All right, guys, we love you. All right, see you next time. Take On care. The Believe Hole.